Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast, the only positive podcast about the state of Israel. We cover the food, the culture, and the people of the state of Israel, and we give them, give them to you, bro. We let you know what's going on. Now, um, if this is your first time watching, don't forget to hit the like button and the subscribe button and the notification bell. Um, so you can be in the loop for all the brand new episodes as they come out. If you want to take us with you on your walk, on your run, when you go to the gym, whatever, uh, whatever you'd like, um, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. And before we start this episode, it is brought to you by... Dun, dun, dun our sponsor the 12 cities in israel modern hebrew flashcards um it's a really great way to learn hebrew it's available on amazon for kindle and i will be telling you more about it at the end of the program um all right so right now we are going to the meat the 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 basics back to the basics <laughs> so 12 cities in israel uh years ago years ago actually wow that's like freaky to think of years ago was conceived as this sort of like travel channel-y kind of thing where we were going to show people going to israel the places you could go the places you could see the places you can eat and the people there um we haven't forgotten that it is it's it's still our name 12 cities in israel so what i decided to do was to take it back a little bit and to um, to basically go over the 12 cities in Israel. We're going to start this episode with Beersheba. I didn't realize this was going to be such an enormously monumental thing because we're talking about a place that has about 5,000 years of history, more, way more, um, as you're going to see. Um, so I'm going to have to split these episodes into part one and part two and part one of the episode, I'll cover the history, um, up until the, uh, the establishment of the state of Israel. And the second part, I'll tell you about the town. I'll tell you a little bit about the modern history of the towns themselves and what you can find there now, what you can do, uh, for when we all get back on planes and get back to edits Israel, uh, get back to, the land of Israel. Um, so this episode is about a place that's incredibly close to my heart. It is my 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 second, I, and it's hard to say it's my second home. It's my other home, and it's Beersheba, and it's a place that I am really, really. I've forged so many connections, um, and those streets are my streets. You know what I mean. So. What well, before we get started, Peter Madeira, this is for you. A little bit of Jacob's coffee. Mm-mm-mm. Hold on. And Peter, I hope you liked the last episode. 
um, on the Golani Brigade and all the you said you liked the ones before that. And uh, let me know what you think of these. So, all right. So we're going to go way back, back into the sands of time. Um, we are going, because Beersheba goes way back, way, way back to ancient history. And I did so much research for this. Um, so human settlement in the area dates all the way back to the Copper Age, the fourth millennium BC. Um and apparently people lived in caves and they crafted metal tools and they raised cattle. Um, I'm curious where these caves were because if you've ever been to Beresheva, it's flat as a pancake. There, I, I, these caves must have been holes dug into the desert. So that is the ancient, ancient history. Um, there's a lot more of that. I'm going to go to the more recent ancient history. Um, and I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to cover, um, because there are, what did they, uh, there were, uh, Neanderthals in the area. There were all kinds of stuff. So I'm not going that far back. What I am going back to is biblical history. So Beresheva has a special place in the Bible. It is the place where Abraham, uh, Abraham and Isaac both got into it with, someone named Abimelech. Now, in some of the research I read, um, it says King Abimelech, but a little bit of information. Uh, there are some sources that think Abimelech might not have been the same person. The one that spoke to Abra uh, Abraham uh, wasn't the one who spoke to Isaac. And because of this, uh, they think that Abimelech's a title, like king, so maybe it was the son of the person that Abraham spoke to, that Isaac spoke to. I don't know. Um, that is in, um, that is in, uh, it's in the beginning. Um, uh, in the beginning of the Bible in um, Genesis. Sorry, I'm thinking Bereshit, and, uh, which is the Hebrew word for it, um, in Genesis. So, and I've got it written right here too. So this is kind of, kind of ridiculous. So, uh, later on, Isaac built an altar in Beersheba. You can find this in Genesis, uh, 26, 23 through 33. Jacob apparently had his dream about a stairway to heaven after leaving Beersheba. So he was in the desert. That's Genesis 28, 10 through 15 and 46, one through seven. Sorry, I'm getting kind of biblical here for those of you who, um, are, um, maybe secular or maybe not too biblically inclined, but it's just that this is important because this is where a lot of our Jewish ties to Beersheba come from. It's from Bereshit. It's from the beginning. Um, Beersheba was the territory of the tribe of Simeon and Judah, and that's in Joshua 15, 28, and 19, 2. The sons of the prophet Samuel were judges in Beersheba, and that's in 1 Samuel um, 8, 2. Saul, Israel's first king, built a fort there as a base for the campaign against the Amalekites, and that's in Samuel. Um, the prophet Elijah took refuge in Beersheba when uh, Jezebel ordered him killed. And that is in Kings 1. 
uh, one Kings. Um, the prophet Amos mentions a city due to idolatry. Of course, come on. We're always screwing up. And that's in Amos 5, 5 um, and 8, 14. And after the Babylonian conquest and enslavement of the Israelites, Beersheba apparently was abandoned. Um, but after the Israelite slaves returned from Babylon, they resettled the town. So it went through these, you're going to find that it, it historically it went through these cycles of Jewish, um, inhabitation and then, uh, the, it empties of Jews. Um, it's, it's a, a recurring pattern. Um, it's mentioned in the Hebrew Bible that Beersheba was the southernmost city of the territories settled by the Israelites. And it's where the expression from Dan to Beersheba came from to describe the whole kingdom. Um, and lastly, in the biblical section, um, Zibia, the consort of King Ahaziah of Judah and the mother of King Jehoash of Judah was from Beersheba. So boom. So that's our biblical connection to the city of Beersheba and why Beersheba was so important to Ben-Gurion. Now, it's interesting. Remember, I just mentioned, sorry to the um, to the uh, those of you who are secular or not religiously inclined, um, but David Ben-Gurion was, uh, was a secular Jew. He was a Bundist. He was a socialist. He, but he felt that the traditions of the Jews, the, tra the Jewish and Judaic traditions were important. And this is where we get them from. We get them from the Torah. We get them from, um, our Bible. So this is pretty fascinating. Now let's fast forward a little bit after I have a sip of coffee. Hold on just one sec. Uh, uh, uh. So, um, during the Persian, um, and I, I'm going to slaughter this word. Are you ready? Achaemenid Empire, which was from 539 BCE to 332 BCE, um, the city was rebuilt and a citadel was built as the southernmost border of its Yehud Medinada province. So this was, and it was pretty autonomous at the time. The Persians pretty much let um, the Jews worship who they wanted um, as long as they gave tribute. Um, and what's funny is this has to be after Esther, um, correct? Right? So that's crazy. This it just how it all ties in. It's so interesting, so fascinating. Um, and Israel just exudes history and not just the history of its own place, but the history of its neighbors and all the great um, empires and kingdoms. Um, now, during the Hellenistic period, ironically, it is not really mentioned um, in all the Hasmonean um, data, information, writings, which there are quite a few. It's not really seen as that important. Um which is pretty fascinating, I think, because that is our most tangible and touchable ancient history outside of the Torah because of all the written documentary uh, documentation and because of the, uh, the caves of Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all of that stuff. But it's not really 
that important to the Hasmonean Empire. Now, fast forward a little bit more to the Roman era. Now, for the Romans, the city was, um, it was in the south of what was called Coele Syria. And that was one of their administrative regions. Um, so Syria was the place where Romans would land, they would govern from, and then Judea uh, was just a province, and Beersheba was the southernmost part of that area, um, that, that entire province, not just Judea, but also the Syria province, the Coeli Syria province. Now, during the, both the Roman and the Byzantine periods, Beersheba served as a a line of defense against the Nabataeans, and they were an ancient Arab people who inhabited northern Arabia and the southern Levant, and this is where the Bedouins come from. This is where, this is the uh, the core peoples that would eventually make up the modern Arabs today. They came from this area, um, and they were the Nabataeans. Now, around, or, well, one of the tribes was the Nabataeans. There were there were others as well, but that one of the, the larger ones, and a apparently a threat to the Romans, were the Nabataeans. And they built a fort um, and a line of defense at Beersheba against them. Now, around 64 to 63 BC, Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, uh, he made Beersheba the southern part of the Judea province. So now we're seeing a little bit of a break from the Coele Syria province, where Judea is actually being given its own provincial status. And I think a lot of this has to do with, you look at the time frame, we're talking about the Hasmoneans, we're talking, uh, or the end of the Hasmoneans, we're talking about um, pre-Herod, we're talking about um, the understanding that there are resources in this area. I mean, if you look, there are Solomon's mines to the south, which are in the Negev, um, and all of that would have eventually come through Beersheba. Um which was a large trading port back then, a trading hub back then. Um, now, Beersheba was described in the Madaba map and Eusebius of Caesarea as a large village with a Roman garrison. So still, Beersheba had this frontier quality to it, this, this just backwoods quality to it that it is had a difficult time shaking off even to this day but let's continue so <laughs> um now the supposed last inhabitants of tel Beersheba were the byzantines um and they abandoned the city during the muslim conquest of the levant and the city was destroyed and remained abandoned until the late 19th century so Wow. So Beresheva, which is, it's, it's got, it's weird because it's translated in two different ways. It's either the seven wells or the seven oaths. And, uh, er being, um, wells, if I'm getting this correct. And Sheva, of course, being the number seven, but apparently Be'er could also mean oath and, there's some controversy as to whether or not it's the seven wells or the seven oaths, but traditionally it is. And in my heart, it's the, the, the seven wells. And 
it is such a central part of the beginning of our journey as Jews in the land of Israel that it is wholly ironic that it is abandoned until the late, late 19th century. So that's the late 1800s. That's, uh, wow. So, all right. So we're going to move, keep moving forward into what is now the Ottoman era. And that is um, the Ottoman Empire. So at the beginning of the 20th century, the Ottoman Empire built the present day city of Beersheba as an administrative center for the benefit, this is pretty cool, of the Bedouins and named it Bir al-Sabi, the Well of Seven. So remember I just told you that traditionally Beersheba was translated as rather than the seven oaths, uh, the seven wells even in Arabic. Um, up until World War I, it was an overwhelmingly Muslim township with approximately 1,000 residents. So there weren't a lot of people there. Um, scholars have suggested that the Bedouin traditional market, which still operates to this day, you can see it, it is just south of the, uh, of the Shuk, um, was the cornerstone for the founding of Beersheba as the capital of the Negev for the Ottomans. That's pretty crazy. So they wanted, well, there was a underlying motive. And in June 1899, the Ottoman Empire created the Beersheba subdistrict, which is called the Kaza of the district of Jerusalem. So with Beersheba to be designated as its capital. So Beersheba was the capital of the sub-district of the Jerusalem district, which was, of course, the capital of the Jerusalem district. But Beersheba was the capital of the sub-district. And the British incorporation of Sinai into Egypt led to a need for the Ottomans to consolidate their hold on southern regions of the territory. There was also a desire to encourage the Bedouins to become sedentary and why? For the purposes of tax revenue. So basically what happened was the Ottomans saw all of these people out in the middle of the desert. They were moving. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to get them all into one place so they could basically tax their businesses. Um, smarmy if you ask me but whatever we still do it to this day um in every country <laughs> so a visitor to Beersheba in may 1900 found only a ruin a two-story uh stone con and several tents by the start of 1901 there was a barracks with a small garrison and other buildings and the austro-hungarian czech scholar alwa Musil, did I, Musli? Musil, um, noted in August 1902, and he says, Bir Seba grows from day to day. This year, instead of the tents, we found stately houses along a beautiful road from the Sarya to the bed of the Wadi. In the government building, a garden has been laid out and all sorts of trees have been planted, which are sure to prosper for the few shrubs planted two years ago by the stream mill at the southeast end of the road have grown considerably. The lively construction activity is also causing a lively 
exploitation of the ruins. So um, what they're doing, what he's referring to there is they're taking stones from the ruins and using them to build other things, just like uh, builders did in Egypt. When they wanted to build up Cairo, they took stones from the uh, from the pyramids. So yeah, Beersheba is starting to blossom. And it's so funny that Beersheba is starting to blossom because the Ottomans wanted tax money. <laughs> That's crazy. So by 1907, there was a large village and military outpost um, with a residence for the Kaimakan, Kam, who was the governor, and a large mosque. The population increased from 300 to 800 between 1902 and 1911. And by 1914, there were 1,000 people living in 200 houses. Now, if any of you have ever been to Beersheba, you'll know that it has this radial grid sort of, um, especially in the old city, it has this radial grid. So let me take a sip of coffee and I'm going to explain that. All right, so a plan for the town in the form of a grid was developed by a team led by a Swiss and German architect. And the grid pattern can be seen today in Beersheba's old city. Most of the residents at the time were Arabs from Hebron and the Gaza area. Although Jews also began settling in the city, many Bedouin abandoned their nomadic lives and built homes in Beersheba. So, this is important. This is extremely important because Beersheba has always been a place of ingathering. So you're noticing people are moving from the west, from Gaza into Beersheba. They're moving from Hebron in the north down to Beersheba. The Bedouins are coming and moving into Beersheba. Um, David Ben-Gurion said the development of the Negev was a must in developing the state. So there were Jews who had their eyes on Beersheba and wanted to be a part of that development of that city. So then World War I happened. What happened? The Ottomans aligned themselves with the Axis, and as such, they were defeated. So during World War I, a military railroad was built by the Ottomans um, from the Hejaz line between Damascus in the north and Medina in the south in Saudi Arabia to Beersheba. So there was a little offshoot that went over to Beersheba. Towards the end of the war, in 1970, the train line was captured by Allied forces. And this was a big, significant military event in Beersheba. Um, due to its strategic lo location, it played a major part in the Sinai and Palestine campaign during World War I. The Battle of Beersheba was part of a larger British offensive, and it was aimed at breaking the Turkish defensive line from Gaza to Beersheba. So they had set up this defensive line um, that eventually uh, was overcome in the Battle of Beersheba. Um, on October 31st, 1917, three months after taking Rafah, which is in Gaza, General Allenby's troops breached the Turkish line of defense between Gaza and Beersheba. During this engagement, <clears throat> approximately 500 soldiers of the Australian 4th Light Horse Regiment and the 12th Light Horse Regiment of the 4th Light Horse Brigade, a lot of horses, uh, led by Brigadier General William Grant, using only horses and bayonets 
charged the Turkish positions, overrunning them and capturing the wells in what would become known as the Battle of Beresheva. And there there was a reenactment because the anniversary of that battle happened, uh, I think, maybe two years ago. And it was a really big deal. Netanyahu came, all the government came down. Now, it is described as the last successful cavalry, cavalry charge in British military history. Now, the casualties of the engagement are buried on the edge of Beresheva's old city in what is called the Commonwealth War Graves Commission Cemetery. Um, it contains the graves of, are you ready for this? Australian, New Zealand, and British soldiers. The town also contains a memorial park dedicated to them. So um, it was a mix of individuals from all over the British colonies uh, who came together and they defeated the Turks. They defeated the Ottomans. Um, now, after that, World War One's over, um, the British have taken over. Um, they are given the mandate from the League of Nations France was given the Lebanon mandate and Britain was given the British, uh, the Palestinian mandate. Now, during the Palestine mandate, Beresheva became a major administrative settle, uh, center for the Negev region. Um, during this time, the British constructed a railway between Rafah, which is in Gaza and Beresheva. So they could have a port that went into Beresheva. It opened to the public in May, 1918 serving the Negev and settlements south of Mount Hebron. In 1928, at the beginning of tensions between the Jews and the Arabs over control of Palestine, many Jewish residents abandoned Beersheba, with only some returning. After the 1936-39 Arab revolt in Palestine, the remaining Jews in Beersheba left. And to put this into context um, or into perspective, according to the 1922 census of Palestine, Beresheva had a population of 2,012 people. Uh, 2,012 Muslims, 235 Christians, 98 Jews, and 11 Druze, with a total, I was incorrect before, of 2,356 residents. So in total, there were 2,356 residents, and of that, 98 of them were Jews. Now, by the time of the 1931 census, so this is only nine years later, Beersheba had 545 occupied homes um, and a population of 2,791 so they've gone up a couple thousand. Uh, 2,791 Muslim. No, they've gone up a couple of, uh, they've gone up a couple of hundred, sorry. So in 1931, the population was 2,791 Muslims, 152 Christians, only 11 Jews, and five Baha'i, totaling 2,959 residents in total. So they gained 959 950 residents, but they lost 80 Jews. They were driven out. Um, continuing this trend, in 1945, a village survey conducted by the British Mandate found 
it went from 2,900, uh, no, it went from 2,791 Muslims to 5,360 Muslims, 200 Christians, and 10 others for a total of 5,570 residents. So they gained about 2,500 residents, got rid of their last 10 Jews, and Beersheba was Jew-free. Um, but that was all about to change. And that's going to be in part two. Um, and it's an exciting story about the beginning of the state, uh, repopulating Beersheba, uh, the home of Avraham and Isaac's wells with Jews again, and bringing Beersheba into the future. I'm excited to tell you that story. I was excited to tell you this story. This history is so fascinating and it's so much fun and I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's not too dry for you. I really get excited. I really get jazzed about it. Um, and there you go. All right. That's it for this episode. Um, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for watching. If you like this, but uh, if you like this video, hit the like button and the subscribe button and the notification bell if you're on YouTube, so that you get all the brand new episodes. If you want to take us with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. Um, I told you in the beginning that this episode was sponsored by the Twelve Cities in Israel Modern Hebrew Flashcards. That is our flashcards i made them i did them all they're available on kindle they are they're available on amazon for kindle um i just did a free promo um the only ones that are available right now are the olive bet set but they're in print and in script so if you want to learn script that's the place to do it it's it's awesome the people who helped me develop it are from uh city college of new york and alumni from Ben Gurion University and wow it's just it's phenomenal it's fun I have a new one coming out at the beginning of the year uh, maybe not immediately at the beginning of the year but a little bit after and it's the numbers um, and yeah so that's it all right um, if you want to find us you can find us on uh, Facebook Instagram and Twitter and that's all I got for you all right thanks a lot Shatila Perah Anishar Shatila Perah Anishar